Oh, hi. I'm your host, Kyle Brownrigg, and welcome to Best Actress, discussing Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress Oscar wins, who we feel should have won, and why. The nominees for Best Performance by an Actress in a Leading Role are Sharon Moonstruck, Meryl Streep in Iron League, Sally Kirkland in Anna. Then close and fatal attraction. Holly Hunter and Broadcast News. And the winner is. The winner is Cher in Moonstruck. Hey guys, and welcome to this episode. Today we're going to be talking about 1988 Best Actress Oscar winner Cher for Moonstruck, bitch. Uh, I'm joined by my uh, co-host today is Daniel Krolik, and Daniel is an actor and co-host of the podcast series Bad Gay Movies slash Bitchy Gay Men. Uh, You may recognize him from the odd commercial, and he actually made his series debut in the Murdoch Mysteries. I didn't know that. I didn't know that you were an actor well on some days i am (laughs) that's so interesting the murdoch mysteries i i watch that show on cbc sometimes they do a lot of filming in toronto don't they they do all their filming in toronto yeah i think i went to like one of the they they have this this place on no bathurst and king and it's like this old uh, heritage building and like that's where they do the majority of the filming were you there filming whenever you did the show uh, I was I was on set for literally three hours. Okay. Um, I did I only did exterior stuff, and we were at the Sullivan Studios, which is all the way as my as my Yiddish as my Yiddish Bubby would say in the middle of Rochesville. So oh. it's like all the way east, 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 east on Hymas Boulevard. <laughs> you have to like, in, like embark on a pilgrimage field. to get there. <laughs> yeah, in different time zone, passports, shots, uh, but it was so cool. It was totally cool. I got to work with Colin Mockery for a day. Oh, and my, oh, that's great. Oh, I love that. Yeah, he was nice. Yeah. Oh, okay. So anybody that's listening to this, if anybody is wondering if the, if the sound at all, if, the, if there's any like audio tech nerd people out there and they're wondering why there's an inconsistency, uh, we are currently in, in, uh, in social lockdown. distancing yeah. lockdown situation. And uh, if you are also, I encourage you all to in, participate in this social distancing, grab yourself a quarantini and just hunker down and have a good, but like just stay home and stay safe. Um, and if you don't like the sound quality for this particular episode, um, suck a dick. So let, or, or even if you do like the sound quality, suck a dick anyway, once this is all over. <laughs> oh, are you kidding me? Okay. So I, this, we're recording can you, can this. You- yeah, go ahead. This, we're recording this in Toronto. I live in the gay village. I, when this, when this, like I don't know, social distancing and and quarantine or whatever is is over with, the bars and the bathhouses will just be overwhelmed. <laughs> They're going to be in getting an infection for sure. Is what I'm. The city will get a giant infection. It'll be yeah, great. but like the good infections, the fun infections, the fun infections. 
<laughs> you want a fun infection. Okay. The kind of infection your mama warned you about. That's right. Um, okay. So that was a gross start. Uh, no. let's, <laughs> um, so yeah, no, again, thank you so much for doing this and for uh, putting up with all of my grief about- Oh, Kyle Brownrigg, you are speaking my language. I am, a, <laughs> I, am a, I am a sucker for best actress debate. Ooh, and this, this particular episode, I selected Cher because um, I, like every gay man, like I love Cher, I love Moonstruck, but a lot of people talk about this year as being a really- like, really, should she have won? Really? Like, it's always up for debate. And yeah. I, I really wanted to get your thoughts on this because you actually, Daniel, are not aware of this, but you are all, I'm volunteering you that you're going to be part of every episode of my Glenn Always So Close series. <laughs> there is nothing dearer to my heart than talking about Glenn Close. <laughs> and, um, and, and she was nominated this year for, of course, for uh, Fatal Attraction. And um, let's just, okay, let's just jump right in there. Let's just talk about Glenn Close and Fatal Attraction in uh, this particular year. Amazing. So, okay. The fir- okay, so what I find really interesting about this is that this uh, role, Glenn actually doesn't refer to her character as a villain she thinks that she's just like a misunderstood person with mental health issues. She doesn't refer but, to herself as a villain. Which, which is totally fair. And also, if you're a good actor worth your salt, you're almost never going to think of the character you're portraying as a villain. Right. Because the character, no matter who you're playing, the character is acting in their best interest. Well, see, okay, this is what really bothers me, though, and this, I think that this was really, um, like, dates this sort of um, loss for her. Nowadays, if she played that character uh, in, like, 2020 or 2019, because now everything's about, like, the anti-hero, I feel like she probably would have won that Oscar. But it would have been a different movie, because I gave Fatal Attraction a rewatch, and... First of all, like I was, I was ten in 1987. Not to put an age on me, but <laughs> my age is up on IMDb anyway, so all bets are off. <laughs> but, but I'm old enough to remember the massive cultural conversation right. that took place about this movie. This movie was like my, I remember my parents and their friends talking about it. Uh, I remember teachers talking about it in school. Like this movie was consuming right. the way it addressed relationships and the way it addressed infidelity. Well, and it, it really did, like it really contributed to the cultural zeitgeist and we're still talking about it today. I mean, talking about like, you know, boiling the bunny or like. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't, and I don't think the movie holds up. I watched it a couple of nights ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the performances hold up and I think the chemistry between Glenn and Michael Douglas holds up. But if this movie was made, if Glenn was playing this type of character in 2019 or 2020, um, it would have been entirely focused on the Alex Forrest character and right. she would have been given an agency. She would have been given a history. She would have been given an agenda. And she doesn't get any of those things in this movie. She's pretty much a blank slate. 
Well, here's the thing. Okay, so, okay, first of all, I mean, she's supposed to be this, like, terrifying woman because she's so crazy. But it, yeah. it, it I think that from what I gather from watching this movie, especially, like, at the time, it was kind of supposed to be, like, a metaphor for, like, men being selfish and cheating on their wives. And it's almost like a bit of a karma thing. And it's almost like her character is like the personification of like karma where it's like, this is what you get men if you betray. Also, I, okay. I, it's so, I mean, I guess I had to do this so that you'd have sympathy for like Michael Douglas's character, but like he has like a perfect family, like the perfect kid and the perfect wife. And you're like, you wouldn't be like, he wouldn't be cheating. And Ann, Ar- and Ann Archer, noted Scientologist Ann Archer is also very oh sexy in this movie. Yes. So she's not just loving and maternal, but she's also very, very sexy. Can we both agree, though, that Michael Douglas is just, like, fucking creepy? Like, he's creepier than any villain that Glenn Close could ever play. I find Michael Douglas so creepy, especially after that weird, like, HPV comment that he made about, like, going down on women. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) but also, like, Michael Douglas was the apex of hetero male sexuality for like at least a decade between this and basic instinct in wall street and even like romancing the stone like michael douglas was positioned for years as this like paragon of straight male sexiness oh my god he's so creepy like it's it's that voice it's like hey does anybody know that you're here like he's just creepy yeah (laughs) <laughs> but I mean, like, um, also, oh yeah, that's right. I forgot because he won his Oscar for Wall Street, and then he the same year. It was this year that he won for Wall Street. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. No, I, I'm not. <laughs> Although, whenever he played Liberace, though, he played it so well. Like all of the accolades that he received for that, he definitely deserved. But like, oh my God, he was such a creepy. I just he was a creepy have you, Liberace. Have you ever seen Kyle? Have you ever seen War of the Roses? No, what is that? Oh, you don't even know what War of the Roses is? No. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> this isn't even about Glenn, but uh, uh, Michael Douglas, Kathleen Turner, and Danny DeVito made both Romancing the Stone and the sequel, Jewel of the Nile. Right. You know that much. Yes, so a few years later, the three of them reteamed to do this movie called The War of the Roses, which is about the most bitter, acrimonious divorce proceeding ever. Oh, sounds like a comedy. Yeah, so Danny DeVito is the divorce lawyer and Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner are going through the ugliest divorce you have ever seen. Oh, you know- It's an amazing movie. Watching back a lot of these movies, because, you know, obviously I'm doing multiple episodes for this series and you just go back and you watch a lot of, like, the Academy has really changed with the type of movies that they nominate because I think that it's really the public opinion now that has the biggest influence on the people that they do nominate because it really does seem like a lot of the time I feel like in the past people would refer to like Oscar nominated performances as like boring movies where like they weren't like popular film and now because of social media I feel like people in more popular movies are like being nominated for Academy Awards. Like, well, to to be the best picture because Fatal Attraction was nominated for best picture as was Moonstruck and they both lost to The Last Emperor which is a very traditional good for you spinach Oscar movie I have okay so actually okay so let's okay so let's go back to Glenn Close here being nominated for this film see this was the movie that a lot of people look back and say 
um, she should have won that year. But this was a very competitive year um, because, I mean, I'm sorry, but let's just be honest. It really is between like Holly Hunter and um, Glenn Close as as far as I'm concerned for who should have won this Oscar. Uh, okay. <laughs> the, I mean, this was such a fascinating year because you have five nominees mm-hmm. and I think three out of the five nominees are absolutely iconic. Mm-hmm. Holly Hunter, Sharon Glenn, I think mm-hmm. are giving iconic, iconic performances. Mm-hmm. Well, I will say this though, because, okay, so the thing about this performance from Glenn is that it was haunting. But one thing that she actually um, said is that she isn't uh, necessarily happy with how Alex, her character, was represented in that film. Um, and I think it was a, she, I think she made this a statement in like 2008, 2007 kind of time. And she felt that, um, cause she's a mental health advocate and she's obviously often talking about like Huge mental health advocate. So I think that she looks back on the way that Alex was represented and I don't think that she's happy with it today. Like when she looks back on it, I mean. Yeah. But also the original ending of the movie was vastly yeah. different than what we grew up with, with Ann Archer being the avenging angel and saving her family and shooting Alex in the bathtub. The original ending of the movie, which uh, I have a DVD of Fatal Attraction mm-hmm. with the original ending, which I don't think is that too hard to come by. Um, Alex kills herself right, yes. and then and then frames Danny, frames Michael Douglas because his prints were on her kitchen night. And she fought tooth and nail for that ending. And it, they this just refused. Ending, but it, it, it wasn't that they refused, it's that they put it in and it tested so badly. Oh, um, really? And okay. Audience, and test audiences were not accepting that resolution to that story and they needed something that redeemed the family image because audience were audiences were so soured uh on the original ending so it wasn't that it wasn't glenn versus everybody else it was the audience the audiences were responding so negatively that is so interesting okay so because what i had read was that you know she fought tooth and nail and they literally were just like no and she just eventually gave up uh, I, I mean, I'm sure she did fight tooth and nail, but it wasn't just her. It was the fact that nobody was responding to the original ending. Well, um, what, okay, so what, this is an interesting fact. So she actually is listed on AFI's uh, 100 villains Best of all villain. time as number yeah. seven. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's just nowadays, I feel like the only like measure of acting is like um, if they can play the Joker. They're like, okay, if you can nail the Joker, then you're an actor. And And what makes Glenn such a fucking treasure is that she can communicate 12 contradictory emotions that shouldn't belong together, but at the same time. And she can give that all to you in a close-up. She, I, I... I think that she played like that balance of like fucking crazy, but also like kind of you have sympathy for her and like and you. But she's everything because she's seductive and she's funny uh, and she's a little bit maternal. And she has like, it's this mix of all of these different contradictory emotions yes. in one package. I uh, absolutely loved this performance. And as far as I am concerned, I thought that she would probably have been 
more deserving of that Oscar than Cher. Don't get me wrong, I'm a Cher fan. And what was interesting in the Glenn Close story is nobody wanted her to play this part because her image at the time was of the Earth Mother because it was mm. the big kill and the world according to Garp. And everybody thought mm. of her as this like very maternal, very giving, but also this kind of um, sexless figure. So she really uh. had to, she really had to very aggressively pursue getting cast in this movie because nobody thought of her as the Alex Forrest type. They were not what they were going after at the time. One of my favorite one of my favorite lines, because um, Seth MacFarlane like just loves from Family Guy, loves Glenn Close, and they had oh, her he on as a he voiceover. Yeah, yeah. He, they had her on as a voiceover for this episode where Stewie was having bad dreams, and there's an episode where Glenn Close is in Stewie's dream, and she's like, "Oh, Stewie, like I love your delightful hat." He has this big, like high society, like 19th century, like hat on, yeah, and yeah. then he's like, "Oh, thank you so much," and you're also the most you're the most handsome woman I know named Glenn. <laughs> Just love that line. <laughs> what, okay, what I thought was, okay, one thing that Glenn said about this role and this movie is that still to this day, she has men coming up to her saying that you saved my marriage yeah. from that movie. Yeah. It's, it was a haunting performance. It was, I love, 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 love that movie. I can watch it over and over again, but I will say that it doesn't age well and it does kind of represent women and people with borderline personality disorder in kind of like a really negative way. And it, and it doesn't frame this movie and it doesn't frame this Alex Forrest character with any kind of context. So you don't really see her being good at her job. You hear that she's this high powered book editor, but you don't see her being you don't see her working um, and you don't know anything about her. So she's nothing but this vengeful creature. Right. There's no other agency. There's no other backstory. And to me, that's what make this, that's what makes this movie very dated and frustrating in 2020. I know I, I would fully agree. Okay. So that, okay. If you're okay with that, I would like to um, close the book on Glenn Close. Uh, can I, can I tell, First of all, the book on Glenn Close is never closed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll keep it wide open for Second you. Of all, okay, so my parents, again, Fatal Attraction came out when I was, I think, 10. Uh, I remember very vividly my parents going to see it in the movie theater. My grandparents babysat, and I remember my mother coming into my room after getting back from the movie theater, so shocked, so traumatized, and she sat on my bed and she said, Daniel, I saw this movie called Fatal Attraction, it is so disturbing. You are never allowed to see it. And she summarized the entire plot from beginning to end. So she, And I was 10, so she sat on the bed with me and told me about <laughs> the sex in the elevator shaft, the oh. Madam Butterfly on the stereo, the knife, the dog in Central Park, the boiling of the bunny, and the getting murdered and strangled in the bathtub. My mother told me the entire plot. So what was she protecting you from? <laughs> As a 10-year-old, and this was the one movie that I was forbidden to see. <laughs> well, I mean, she just told you all the details, so there's really no spoilers anymore. Yeah. Um, and I didn't see Fatal Attraction until I was maybe 30. 
see, if I were you and I was that kid, I would see it immediately because my parent was like, you can't, you should never watch this movie. I'd but be like, I fucking gotta watch it. But then uh, I remember like a year later, my grandparents were babysitting and we went to the video store to, to choose a video. And I remember trying to persuade, and my, my grandparents were the most permissive people in the universe. They let us do whatever we wanted. Okay. And I was like, hey, so can I rent Fatal Attraction? And they were like, no, it's off limits. I love that. Okay. But uh, anyway, I just, that, I really think that that speaks to her performance. And I think, I think that I, that's such, that's such a high, I, that's such a great compliment. I would love to know if I was an actor that like people weren't like telling their kids to not watch me. Cause Under I was no good. circumstances. <laughs> but <laughs> but, I love but how somehow, she- somehow it wasn't enough to just not let me watch the movie. My mother had to um, vividly and graphically describe the entire plot to me. Well, exactly. She's like, and this is why it's inappropriate. You're like, okay. Amazing. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. So, okay. So Glenn Close, Oscar nominated for Fatal Attraction. So let's move on to our next nominee. Uh, let's get, mm-hmm. let's, let's, let's get into the Streepmeister, Miss okay. Meryl Streep, the one and only. Um, um, and somehow... Uh, somehow I was allowed to rent Ironweed because I rented Ironweed when I was like maybe 12. Okay, I have to just say this right off the top. I feel like I feel like Meryl Streep should have won that Oscar just for that really sad hand job that she had to give to that disgusting oh, man in the car. <laughs> and her face was so over it. I know. <laughs> do you know do you know what that scene do you know what that scene reminded me of? Um, you know in Hedvig and the Angry Inch where she's babysitting for Tommy Gnosis and he's jerking off in the bathtub? Yes. And she just so walks true. in and she and Hedwig very passively just finishes him off. That's so funny. Oh my god, I love that. <laughs> When I watched that scene, I was like, oh, girl, like, this is just, this is sad. I'm like, give her the Oscar. She earned it. (laughs) I don't think, and I haven't seen the 1987 Oscars. I don't think that was Meryl's Oscar clip on the telecast. (laughs) The hand job? Yes. (laughs) No, her one on the telecast was whenever she was, she went to the church to pray. Um, Okay. But, Okay. okay, so she, so this was an interesting, this was interesting because, um, she wasn't nominated for a Golden Globe. She wasn't nominated for a BAFTA. Generally in the 80s and uh, like the late 70s, she was just nominated for absolutely everything and people were just like throwing awards at her, uh, uh, rightfully so. Um, but I gotta say, um, an amazing performance, obviously by Meryl Streep, like I can't take that away from her, but frankly, I thought the movie was kind of boring and I found Jack Nicholson's character um, to be- Jack Nicholson is so miscast in this role. I was unsympathetic to his story. And if anything, yeah. I wanted to know more about Meryl Streep. Her because, and also, and also Meryl's character disappears. She's not in the first half hour of the movie and she's not in the final half hour. So in okay. a two and a half hour movie, there's, what amounts to an entire hour of being without Meryl. So it never really feels like her story. Absolutely. And, or not. and the one scene that was really amazing was when she sang that song and then she had this fantasy of getting the reaction. And I do, I, and I do love the scene uh, in the department store where she scares away the mother and child and then she sits down at the piano and plays. I yeah. think that's a really beautiful scene. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think the takeaway from the movie is her performance. And I think the movie as a whole is very atmospheric. Um, and also like, baby Nathan Lane. 
I know he was like one of the death victims, the like ghouls, so like haunting cute. them. He's so he might have been like twenty eight years old, but he's the cutest. I think I read somewhere that that was his first major like I think cre- so. like credited role uh, coming off of Broadway, and um, like skinny Tom Waits. Yes, right. I, I okay. This uh, honestly, I, I, I'm not gonna lie. I, I, this is probably an unpopular opinion, but I just, I found this movie so boring, and I'm so glad that she was nominated. I really be- mm-hmm. believe that she deserved it. But if she would have won the Oscar for that, it would have been like really, like I don't know. I uh, no, and at this point, Sophie's choice was only like five years ago, so there wasn't any right. burning need to award her again. Okay, like when. So- well, okay, so let's talk about that. Sorry to interrupt you, but let's talk about that. So I feel like in the 80s, I mean, after Sophie's Choice, because people were li- literally regarding it as one of the greatest acting performances, like, ever. And they I, should. As they should. I yep. feel like Meryl Streep, every time that she's nominated, she's not competing with the other nominees. They're just comparing her performance to her previous work and being like, did she top it? hmm which, which at this stage, she can't because she's done everything everything and she i mean you know there were i mean well you know what this is a different episode but i i i strongly could argue over helen mirren winning for the queen and she lost for the devil wears prada i but that's another episode (laughs) my yeah and like my personal favorite meryl performance is postcards from the edge i love that movie i didn't realize that it was about um Carrie Fisher uh, and Teddy? About Carrie, yeah, I didn't know yeah. that. I, I, yeah. Because uh, she, she actually had written the screenplay. She was nominated for um, the BAFTA for Best Screenplay, but not the Yeah, Oscar. yeah. That's, and that era, like, when Meryl got a little bit lighter, the she-devil, death-becomes-her era, that is my personal peak Meryl. Uh, defending your life. I, okay, I love that you just said that, because up until this point um, in her career with a lot of her performances, they were actually really, I mean, getting up to Ironweed, they were really sad. And after yeah. that, she made four comedies, I think. Well, this, this, is also, uh, this is also a year before Cry in the Dark, which is, <laughs> which is I have amazing. I have never seen that movie. I... I need to see this movie. I understand it's like the baby ate my dingo or whatever that famous line is, but I've actually well, never the, seen the, a crime the, the, the dingo ate the baby. The baby didn't eat the dingo. Oh, okay. Or whatever. Okay. Well, spoiler. Uh, <laughs> but whenever, but one thing that I thought was so funny was whenever she was um, in Ironweed and she sang that song and um, at the end of it, there was like a lack of applause as a, as a stand-up comedian that was so triggering because that was her just bombing. And I'm like, ugh, I know that feeling. And what makes that, and what makes that moment work so well is that it's preceded by the fantasy of her finishing off the song with a flourish and everybody standing and applauding. Did you find, you know what? I think the timing of watching that movie though was bad because it looked like a post-coronavirus world where everybody was like sick. Oh I was God. like, Ugh. Um, I mean, I do, I do agree with you, Kyle. I think the movie is a bit of a chore, but I think if there was somebody other than Jack, and I can't think of who in that era, but that character is supposed to be so haunted and so vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And Jack Nicholson is great, but he projects somebody who can take care of himself. You know, okay, first of all, because I'm so, I'm so happy that she was nominated for that, for that role, um, because the performance was outstanding. I absolutely loved it. Although, I gotta say, don't you think that it was a little bit more of like a supporting role than a lead? 
Well, yeah, and that and that goes to my point of this character dropping out of of, of the beginning and the end of the movie yeah. is that it never it never feels like her story. She feels like an accomplice to Jack Nicholson. Well, they only have three scenes together in the whole movie. It was a very yes, yeah, yeah. It's a very. Um, it's a, apparently, I mean, everybody was saying that apparently the book was like so much better. Um, but, uh, okay, let me just, let me just take it my, okay. Uh, I'm going to cut this out. Sorry. Um, okay. have you seen, have you ever actually seen the 1986 film Heartburn? Cause I know that you said that was also available on Prime. Oh, it's I, in my, it's in my queue, but I haven't seen it yet. Okay. Um, yeah, but okay. So, uh, well, the one thing that I will say about this Meryl Streep performance is, um, as a performer, it was just very triggering to watch just because she's dead inside and as a stand-up comedian, I can relate to that. <laughs> oh God, as an actor, I can relate to that. <laughs> okay, so that was Meryl Streep for Ironweed. Um, let us now talk about the elephant in the room, Miss Sally Kirkland in 1987 film called Anna. The unfindable Sally Kirkland. <laughs> <laughs> okay. To anybody listening to this, I have to give you full disclosure. Uh, We were unable to find this movie, and honey, I looked on the internet. I tried to buy it. I tried to order it online. I tried to uh, get it on on iTunes. We got on the dark web. The dark web. I had to to do a lot of shifty deals in an alleyway. I, I was told that we're also on lockdown right now, so that kind of limited our access. But um, Vestron, the actual uh, production company, it doesn't exist anymore. This movie is almost impossible to find. And um, if somebody does have this movie, you can please send it to me. I would love to watch it. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, uh, neither of us were able to watch the film. And uh, it makes me sad because I really want to know why she was nominated. Um, But I will say this. um, She had won the Golden Globe for Best Performance by an Actress in a Drama. uh, Mm -hmm. And she actually can and I I love this story just because I am a person that often I'm in charge of my own career because my representation sucks. Um, Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, we, we, again, we all feel that. Yeah. We all feel that. Yeah. Uh, Well, she had to conduct her own Oscar campaign that like if people, and and I feel like, and I feel like this is the first account of a performer taking that agency into their own hands. I feel like this was the first, to this point, this was the first narrative that we got. And now it's a little bit more common with talk shows and agents and social media. Um, But I feel like at the time, it was a revolutionary act. 100%. And a lot of people actually said to Sally years later that they had never even seen the movie, um, not unlike ourselves, Uh, but they voted for her because of her campaign. They were like, good for you, I'll just vote for you. Have you ever seen Sally Kirkland in a movie or a TV show? I have never seen Sally Kirkland in a movie or a TV show, or okay. at least not that I'm aware. <laughs> First of all, it took me years to figure out which one was Sally Kirkland and which one was Sally Kellerman. Right. <laughs> it took me a very long time. Um, the only real memory I have of Sally Kirkland... Oh, no! Oh, my God! Sally Kirkland was on Roseanne. She was the dr- oh. She was David's drunk... She was Johnny Galecki's drunk mother on Roseanne for a few episodes. Well, see, I never watched Roseanne. I okay. I wouldn't know. It was never yeah. my show. No, it just occurred to me, and that probably would have been maybe just a year or two after this, like maybe 1989 or 1990, where she played that character on Roseanne. Well, okay, so the photos that I actually saw of Sally Kirkland from, like, the 1980s, where she had the full, like, working girl hair. Did yeah, yeah. 
Didn't you find that she had like a striking resemblance to like Emma Thompson? Oh, sure. Yeah. I, I thought it was Emma Thompson. I was like, is that Emma Thompson? And I was like, oh, no, no, no. That's, that's a different, per- anyway, I, white, mm-hmm. white people. They have like a strong jaw, but very like um, bright eyes at the same time. I can totally see that. I totally, uh, yeah. And uh, so what Sally Crickland did is that she had contacted um, like Andy Warhol and like all of her like people that were like in the scene that were popular to help her with this campaign uh, to get an Oscar nomination. She emailed every single voter, or email, wow, oh, wow, I'm so stupid, not email. Uh, she sent letters, snail mail, not an email because that didn't exist, um, in, in for her Oscar campaign. And she succeeded I think the last person that actually tried to do that was Jennifer Aniston for the movie Cake. And oh, she was unsuccessful. And out. Oh, really? Okay. For compliance, because the movie, uh, the, the distribution company that put out compliance didn't want to spring for an Oscar campaign. And this was like maybe in 2015. Um, and Dowd put her Oscar campaign on her MasterCard. Oh my God, really? <laughs> yeah. It's a it's business a- expense. Yeah. Um, and this, and then like a year later, she booked Handmaid's Tale and became Anne Dowd, who we know and love. Um, I will say this about the movie, Anna, for anybody that is listening that is just wondering what this movie is about. So basically, Sally Kirkland, she plays like a former Czech film star, um, but she's now exiled and she's living in New York and she's married to a successful commercial director, uh, Paulina Poroskova. Um, and if you don't know who she is, uh, she was actually a supermodel in the 80s and she was a judge she was, of America's in 1987, Paulina Poroskova was everywhere. She's gorgeous. She was married to Rick Ocasek, who was a major pop star. Uh, she was in a Tom Hanks movie that I watched all the time called Her Alibi. I don't think I've seen that one. She was ubiquitous in oh. this era. Oh, I love that word, ubiquitous. Yeah. So the ubiquitous Paulina Poriskova. Love it. Okay. And um, so uh, Pauline Poroskova, she plays a character named Christina, and she arrived from Czechoslovakia, and uh, she can't speak English very well, and I guess that Sally Kirkland's character, like, teaches her English, and um, she helps her with her promising acting career, uh, while Anna can only be an understudy. Um, that's what the film is about. Like, it's, the, it's, it's all about Eve. It's, yeah. It's basically all about Eve. Yo, that's actually so that's the episode that i'm doing with uh, bill actually of course it is of course, of course it is <laughs> and um so this performance the la times uh referred to it as one of the best performances by an actress in the 1980s i think that's great um i wish i could watch it um sally i tried i really did and i couldn't find it i'm so sorry uh yeah. but she did actually win all of the like um the indie awards she she won the LA Film Critics Association Award. She t- she tied with Holly Hunter, and she also won the Independent Spirit Award for this movie. I truly wish that I could comment on it, but I y'all do. Yeah, and I mean, and and the thing about the dissolution of hard copies of of, of going to a rental store is that once once a studio like Vestron collapses, that movie just vanishes into into the ether because there's nobody to license it out. There's nobody to put it on Netflix or Amazon. Right. Um, well, uh, I think that we, I think we are going to have to close the book on Sally Kirkland. Um, congratulations okay. on your nomination, girl, but <laughs> sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> can't, uh, can't find you. Okay, so our next nominee, I'm so excited to talk about this one, uh, is Holly Hunter in Broadcast News. Kyle, I fucking love this movie so much. Oh my God. It's I, such a gorgeous movie. Every time I see it, 
it's like I experience it in a different way. And I know that we're all open wounds given the state of the world, but I cried throughout when I watched it two nights ago. Of course. It, it struck such a nerve with me. That scene where uh, they're at the party at Robert Prosky's house and the producer says to Holly Hunter, how does it feel to yes. be the smartest person in the room? And she's like, it's terrible. I know. She doesn't, like, she doesn't get that it's like he's being sarcastic. I love, that's my favorite. That's literally uh, my favorite part of the whole movie. <laughs> yeah, but, but the whole movie. And I feel like, Time has not been kind to broadcast news. Like, I think it's an okay enough regarded movie, but nobody thinks of it as the fucking classic that it is. And it is. I mean, it was nominated for seven Academy Awards and it didn't win a single one, which I think is so upsetting. And this was Albert Brooks's only um, Academy Award nomination that he received for a supporting role. you, Albert Brooks. He has like a young submit. He has like a young Elliot Gould thing going on. There aren't too many sexy Jews I can think of, but like, <laughs> but like I think I think young Albert Brooks in this movie is very sexy. I literally watching this back. Um, I was I was I love to watch old movies whenever like I'm really stoned because I feel like I get yeah. the pacing a little bit more. And when I was watching this, I was super high, and I was like looking at Albert Brooks, and I'm like. I literally, um, my boyfriend's name is also Daniel. I was like, Daniel, I was like, is Albert Brooks like kind of hot in this movie? I mean, we he's both not like- kind of hot, he's hot. He's so hot in that movie. Anyway, I, I think he's hotter than William Hurt. Oh yeah, no, 100%. William Hurt is, uh, he's, uh, what's the word, classically handsome? He's, yeah, I mean, he's, he, William Hurt is the most Gentile person who has ever lived. <laughs> yes, this like, I there is, agree. There is nobody who is less ethnic than William Hurt. I feel like, I feel like, that's so funny. I feel like um, Bill also said something. Oh, by the way, anybody listening to this, Bill is also the co-host of um, the yeah. podcast, uh, Bad Game Movies, Bitchy Gay Man. Uh, I think Bill also said something about uh, William Hurt and he was like, he was like, is that what passed for sexy back in the 80s? I don't understand. And I'm like, I don't know. He's okay, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, okay, Holly Hunter. <laughs> we like, got a little sidetracked. Holly Hunter, oh my God. Um, and I also forget that uh, Joan Cusack is in that movie as well. Oh my God. I could, I could watch Joan Cusack running with a VHS tape yes. to make it in time. I could watch that on a continual gift for the rest of my life. If this corona thing doesn't get resolved, you know where to find me. I'll be in my apartment watching that scene of Joan Cusack running through the halls with a VHS. <laughs> Just on a loop. You know, I actually, uh, I, I would argue um, that she should have been nominated for a supporting role for this movie than that of Working Girl in my uh, I don't think the role's big enough. Like, she's, she's a treasure, but I don't think the, her role in broadcast news is, is nearly big enough. I mean, I don't know, to be honest with you, I was, okay, this is probably an unpopular opinion. I was a shocked that she was nominated for Working Girl. I'm serious. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I mean, Sigourney Weaver, obviously. I thought she should have won for that, but uh, yeah, oh, I was, was really Gina, That was Gina Davis's year. Yeah, that was a good yeah, year. That, that was, was another a good year. Good year. We didn't know how good we had it. Um, <laughs> but, but back to Holly Hunter. Yes, okay, yeah. So back to Holly Hunter. Okay, so yeah. first of all, I always forget whenever I see Holly Hunter in movies that she has the most like delightful like Southern accent. And I feel like she would have won this Oscar if she would have just thrown in like a, I tell you what, like fucking for the audience and the fucking- Like a, like a Julia Sugarbaker speech? Like a, 100%. like a, 
100%. Yeah. Um, but also she was such a newcomer. Like at this yeah. stage in her career, she yeah. might have been 30. Um, and she was, she was fresh meat. Like nobody knew who she was. So I think she came into this race with um, no history, no biases, but nobody really like share winning completes a story, completes a narrative. If Glenn would have yes. won this year, that would have added to her story. But I don't think Holly Hunter had a viable narrative going into this race. And that is what upsets me. I know. Because I know. it's like, I think about the year that like Monique won and she went up and she's like, it's not about the politics. It's about the performance because it's she never about the performance. It's All things never. It's never. It's and also, never. and also taste is subjective, you know? Oh, a hundred, a hundred percent. And the thing is, is, and that, and that's exactly like, you're so right. And that's just it about Holly Hunter with this year was that she was a nobody and she just didn't have that story that Cher had. Um, because for Cher, it really was like a career Oscar. And for Holly Hunter, they were like, oh, we'll get you later. I feel like because but for, but for but for a movie which makes a running joke out of a career woman constantly breaking into tears at her desk, yeah, <laughs> and cracking under the pressure, Holly plays those moments with such dignity and such intelligence yes. that it um, there's nothing self pitying about those uh, about what the character goes through. What I thought was like there's such a dignity to her. Oh, a hundred percent. Her character is so layered and complex yeah. and like. She is just everything. That and when I want. she and when she doesn't want to go through the metal, metal uh, the metal detector because she has a purse full of condoms. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I oh my god no! I thought that the I thought the performance was so dynamic. It was so interesting. It was so complex. It was hilarious. It was captivating. Yeah. It was everything. Um, I thought that one thing that I also love. I got such a tickle out of the like giant encyclopedias that were like VHS tapes that were like giant briefcases. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> love that. But because that's the thing is like, listen, as a comic, I'm always gonna vote. I just love a good comedic performance because comedic acting um, is one of the hardest things that you can do. But like, she's... and if and if it's done well, you don't notice it. Exactly. And I listen, Cher in Moonstruck uh, gave a really great comedic performance. I thought that, and I, I appreciate that. I appreciate a good comedic performance, but like Holly Hunter gave a, 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 a comedic performance that was like layered and it was so interesting. And yeah. I, I just and loved, also you, loved it. You don't, you don't notice how good it is because she's so effortless, because she's so good at her job. So you don't see any of the work. She just is the character. I listen yeah. every time I watch this movie. It's like I experience it in like a different way. Um, and I just, oh my god, this is like one of my favorite movies, like of all time. I love this. I love this movie so much. And Working Girl was only a year later. And I think Working Girl is acknowledged as the classic that it is, and and has become part of the conversation. But nobody talks about broadcast news. Right. That's sad. And you're right. Yeah. We yeah. should, okay, justice for broadcast news. <laughs> Hashtag justice for broadcast news. Yes. <laughs> okay, let us go to our fifth and final nominee who also was the winner. It was Cher for Moonstruck, bitch. God bless. So, of course, that is the famous line, snap out of it when she's hitting. I realized that I also. I also think, Kyle, I think the moment I realized I was gay was... <laughs> 
um, seeing an ad in the newspaper. It was a two-page ad for the Witches of Eastwick, and Jack was on one side, and on the other side was like a montage of Cher, Susan Sarandon, and Michelle Pfeiffer. And seeing those three together is probably when I realized I was gay. <laughs> that's a that's a good gay moment. Yeah, that's a good gay awakening for sure. <laughs> for me, I realized that I was gay when I used to watch Buffy when I was a kid, and I remember that Buffy lost her virginity to Angel, and I was jealous of Buffy. <laughs> it wasn't the episode where uh, Xander joined the swim team. No, I think that was like in the later season. But like Xander was Xander could fucking get it. He was a he Xander was could get it. Yeah. <laughs> um. So okay. So share. Um. <laughs> <laughs> the winner, um, like you were, you know, previously mentioned and, and saying, this was a career Oscar for her because this is a story, folks. This is a story. Because up until this point in history, I mean, really up till I mean Silkwood, really, it's like they basically saw Cher as this big flamboyant pop star within the ridiculous Bob Mackie gowns. And um, I'm sorry, like uh, they were ridiculous. Some of those dresses, you're like, honey, but like, whatever. But that was the point. That was the like, point. But like, they, I, she had a sense of Cher, humor about Cher it. Cher 100% was in control of what she was wearing. Oh yeah, no, 100%. But like, sometimes it was like, girl, you are a hot mess on that red carpet. But um, I will say to her performance in this movie with Moonstruck, I love Moonstruck. I have seen Moonstruck like five or six times. Um, you know, Iron. It's another Weed. perfect movie. There's nothing. There's no fat. Every moment is crucial, and um, it feels light. Like there's no. There's no effort. I did find the way that they lean into the Italian stereotypes. It kind of got a bit annoying after a while, but um, I. I uh, we get. We get a. We get a super young John Mahoney. Yes. And uh, I okay. One thing watching this movie back that I keep forgetting about every time that I see it that drives me insane when I watch it back. Every five seconds, they need to make a reference to, have you seen the moon? Did you get a glimpse of the moon? It's like, I understand that you're pushing this metaphor, but it's getting annoying. And yet this movie won the Oscar for best writing. I don't know about that. (laughs) Uh, I think it's perfect. I think it's perfect. And also very very sentimentally, uh, my grandma took me to see Moonstruck. Oh, we had I love a, that. We had, we had a running Tuesday night cheap movie date where we would go to the Red Lobster. Ooh. And then she would take me to the strip mall across the street and we would see a movie. <laughs> I went on a couple of dates with the guys like that. Uh, very yeah. magical. <laughs> um, talking about this performance, though, just like, you know, with Holly Hunter, it's like I love a good comedic performance. I thought that she fucking nailed the accent, that sort of like New York, Italian, Brooklyn kind of accent. I thought that she absolutely nailed it. Um, I also think that she was the only one of these nominees that had to do an accent. If I'm, yeah. Yeah, she was the only one that, uh, oh no! Because Sally Kirkland, she had to speak, she had to speak Czech. But we'll have to take her words for it because we can't see that before. <laughs> so let's just say that it was just her. Um, but see, when, because a lot of people refer to this win as like a WTF moment. As in, like a really share one for Moonstruck, really. But I don't, I don't think it was because that movie was also a major popular success, and it like still is. Love this movie, yeah. yeah, like it's on TV all the time, and anytime that it's on, I'm like, well, you know, I'll watch it, and I think that that says something. I, I, I also enjoy like a nice subtle performance. You know, 
Meryl Streep's performance in Ironweed, it's very obvious like how incredibly talented she is and she's like just giving it. But I also like a nice subtle performance and I felt that Cher's performance was more subtle. And that's what makes when she goes to the opera, when she gets her roots did and when she gets that dress, it makes, the, it, it makes the transformation so shocking because for an hour we totally buy into this mousy bookkeeper woman who lives with her big Italian family. Yeah. Like we totally buy into that and we forget about Cher. What is your favorite part of Moonstruck? <sighs> I think it's the whole sequence at the opera. Like, I love Olympia and she's not in it, but I think it's that whole sequence of the opera where they meet each other at the fountain outside of Lincoln Center and she sees the dad with the mistress and she cries at La Boheme. I think it's that whole, that whole sequence. I, honestly, I, I just love whenever she meets Jack uh, or, um, oh my God, oh my God, I'm like blanking on his name right now. Uh, fucking Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage. Oh my God, I was about to say Jack Nicholson. I screwed that. I do. I mix those names up all the time. Nicholas Cage, who is kind of sex on legs in this movie. Oh my God, he's so hot. Even like, though he has like a huge unibrow. But... In the tank top with a chest hair. But he's so melodramatic. I get that it's a comedic performance, but whenever he's like shoveling like the coal there and then he's like going on about how he lost his hand and why he hates his brother. It's so dramatic. And then the way that she kind of- Nicholas Cage is a crazy person. So that's yeah. <laughs> that's the performance he gives. I love the way that Cher, like the way that she kind of talks to him for the first time because she's just like so unapologetically herself and she has to be there like for her- fiance and like i i love the way that she does that scene but i also just love whenever she gets the makeover <laughs> and i also love that her relationship with Danny Aiello. she's so upfront about the fact that they don't love each other yeah. but it's not um like it's not sad it's not a sad pathetic uh spinstery vibe you get from her their scenes at the beginning I feel like, okay, would you agree when, when I say that um, a lot of her performance was kind of a result of, like, the good writing? Mm, no. I mean, yes, the movie, I think the movie has excellent writing. Um, but there's something so unaffected about the performance and so straightforward that makes it special. I... You know, I don't know. I mean, it's just Cher has a lot, a lot, a lot. I mean, because, yeah, so when that when that movie had come out, uh, yeah, she had uh, The Witches of Eastwick. She had a couple other ones that were big box office successes as well. So she was kind of like uh, everywhere. Yeah, sus- suspect. That year, she had Witches of Eastwick, Suspect, and Moonstruck, and all three were big hits. Um, and I think Mask was only a year or two before, if I'm if I'm correct. I love Mask. She yeah. she should have been nominated for Mask. That was oh, actually she was pissed. She was pissed <laughs> off that she did not get that nomination. I love the idea of Cher being pissed. Like, what the hell, you stupid bitch? <laughs> do you do you know that there was a Broadway musical version of Mask in the works for many years? <laughs> what? I don't know. How, I don't know how I feel about starring that. starring Katie Segal in the Cher role. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Have you seen Share the Musical? Like Share the Rusical? Share like the Dragon? Rusical. Yeah, like the, the one that like just came out recently. Oh, the Share Show. No, I didn't see it. I didn't see it. And I love Stephanie Block, but no. <laughs> um, well, I, I hear it's right. Um, okay, so what I feel really bad about Share for this actual Oscar win is that her film performance kind of like fizzled out after this because 
what and, and I'm sure she's Early? probably come on. Well, she would okay. So after this movie, she actually had turned down Thumb on Louise. She turned down the Adams family. She turned down a role in the piano, and she turned down Death Becomes Her. Who who, who is Cher going to play in the piano? I don't know. I'm assuming Holly Hunter's role. Like, I have no idea. <laughs> okay, great. Anna Paquin. She was Anna Paquin. <laughs> I've, I've, I've also never seen the piano. I'm so embarrassed. I've never I, seen the piano. I have never seen this movie either, actually. So maybe that'll be another I'll, episode. When this is do. over, let's get high. Yes. Let's smoke a giant blunt and watch the piano. <laughs> um, okay, so I think that we have come to the end of this discussion of our five fabulous nominees. Okay, so this is uh, the moment that uh, everybody is waiting for. Let us discuss who we think should have won. Um, Daniel, you are going to be uh, the first person to say, and then I will say mine after. So, Daniel, who do you think that the Oscar in 1988 for Best Actress should have gone to? And the Oscar should have gone to... Share for Moonstruck. Okay, why? I think they got it right. I think the narrative was on point. Uh, I don't think this, again, I don't think this was the year that Glenn should have won. Um, and I think it's an iconic role and I think it's an iconic performance. I would agree with you. I actually am kind of surprised that uh, you actually didn't say Glenn Close. I would have. I would have assumed that you would have said Glenn Close. Not this one. Not this one. That's really interesting. Okay. Okay. I love that. Okay. So um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. I'm going to say who I thought the Oscar should have gone to. Please. And the Oscar should have gone to... Holly Hunter. I really, really, really... Oh, my God. Every time that I watch this movie, I always am just captivated and in love with her and I really do feel like she was robbed of this Oscar and actually Cher was terrified um, up to Oscar night because she really thought that Holly Hunter was going to win as well. Um, I am not going to fight you on that. (laughs) (laughs) I I just I'm not going to fight you. I just you know to be honest with you looking at it on paper my first choice immediately would have gone to Glenn Close. And I actually was going to say Glenn Close, but the reason why I didn't select her was because um, in 2007 or 2008, um, Glenn actually referred to her the way that, you know, um, her character, uh, Alex, was represented and she's just really not happy with it, again, as a mental health advocate. And I would hate Glenn Close, like, let's say, because, you know, she doesn't have any Academy Awards to her name, if she did have that one Oscar and it was for a role that she is a little bit resentful toward. But I also feel like Fatal Attraction is so, like, you watch the movie, it is so much Michael Douglas's story. Yes. It's told from his perspective. It's told from uh, from the point of, of, of what he wants and his desires and his actions. And it would be a weird fit because Alex Forrest, again, is such an iconic character, but Fatal Attraction is not her story. So yes, I, I thought my choice was uh, Holly Hunter for 1988. I, I really feel like she was robbed. I love Cher. I have seen her in concert. Like I'm such a fan and I love Moonstruck, but yeah, my choice is my choice is Cher. Not I mean fuck it's Holly Hunter. Holly Hunter, not yeah. Cher. No, no, I'm I'm not gonna fight you. I think her yeah, Holly Hunter's work is magnificent. Um Okay. Well I, I, guess... I don't have a problem with this one. And I just love the idea of Cher having a best actress Oscar. I think it's great. I agree. I, I know love, I, agree. I love that concept. 
I, I fully agree with you. Okay, so um, that is that. Is that. So um, do you have anything, Daniel, coming up that you want to plug? Just my, just my ongoing physical health. I hope. <laughs> I, I hope. I mean, my my mental health said goodbye about three days ago. So I'm just 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 my ongoing, you know, breathing in and out, All getting right. to sleep, waking up. All right, anybody listening, you, you know. can check out Daniel's uh, podcast that is co-hosted with uh, Bill. Is it Anton Antonio or Antonio? Antonio. No matter what. No matter what. Uh, Antonio. Antonio. I think Antonio. That's how okay, very I fancy. should I should start paying attention to Bill. <laughs> Whatever her name is. Um they have a podcast, uh, Bad Gay Movies, Bitchy Gay Men. Check it out um wherever podcasts are available. Thank you guys so much for listening to Best Actress, and we'll see you guys next time. Yay! Yay, bye. <laughs>